Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rockers and welcome back to your weekly podcast from the Times and Sunday Times. I'm Alex Lowe, rugby correspondent for the Times, and joining me today is Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent for the Sunday Times, and we'll reflect on a record-breaking weekend at Twickenham and two ultimately pretty one-sided Heineken Champions Cup semi-finals. Um, Steve, thanks for joining us. How are you? Morning, Alex. Yeah, very, very good. Thanks. I'm sort of looking forward to the end of the season, but. Um... I've just got enough in me to do do about another four weeks, I think. It's been it has, we've talked about this before when Will was in. It's it's been one of those odd seasons, which is it's just struggled to to get a flow to it. I think partly because of the wasps and Worcester issues has created more gaps in the in the calendar, and now now we're in that point in the season where there are lots of Premiership games that don't matter. We're jumping between competitions, and now we're heading up to. A premiership round where really the only thing on the line is who finishes eighth. It's it's felt like an odd season, and yet I think we saw with the colour you know, from the La Rochelle fans, for example, at, at the weekend that we know that when it gets to the the business end in a couple of weeks' time, it is going to be a, a, you know, a joyous, colourful, tribal occasion. Uh, you know, it builds slowly to something brilliant, but it has felt like a bit of a stop-start campaign, hasn't it? It's very very fractured. I mean, look. It- when you compare with other sports, you, it, it makes it a bit odd because you can't, because rugby is different. But the Premier League in football, it's just every week incessant in your face, getting bigger and bigger from a, you know, from a, from a quite a rapid start. The trouble is with the rugby season, there, as you say, there's so much going on. So much of it is different and it, everything moves so slowly. You, you, you said that the Wasps and Worcester, uh, the loss of Wasps and Worcester was, was a disaster, stopped the season dead. The other problem is that it's still not sorted. I mean, you know, th- the things like the, the rugby structured season, we've been waiting for that for about seven years and it's still not sorted. So if we could look at a new season next year, it would make this year's a little bit better, but everything moves at such a funereal pace. And then you're into, you know, what the hell's on this week? Um, and in, in a way, I suppose you could say the Six Nations for Women has, has sort of slightly interrupted the flow in a good way. But the season, the season is a shambles, basically. Let's put it that way. That's that's the word I'm looking for. There's plenty of uplifting, uh, joyous things to discuss coming up on the pod. But it does feel like we're starting on a on a bit of a down note, and 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 with some good reason, really. The we talk about Wasps and Worcester there just this morning. So we're recording this Tuesday morning. The players and the staff at London Irish woke up to discover that there was no uh, money in their bank accounts. That their their April salaries which were due on Friday and were then promised to arrive from an American bank late on Monday, had still not arrived on Tuesday. We're waiting really to find out whether this is just the blip that we hope it is and that the takeover will secure the future of this club. 
But those of us, you and I, Steve, who followed the the Worcester travails and and the Wasps collapse closely, will identify some red flags here of salaries not being paid. But more than that, salaries being promised to be paid and then not being paid on time um, is a major worry. And there are players and staff at London Irish who've spent all weekend, a long weekend, stressing out about what the future holds for them to wake up on Tuesday to not have the money in their accounts that was promised. It doesn't look good. We don't know where this will end up. And we, God, we hope it doesn't end up where we fear it might. But this has just been the narrative of the season, hasn't it? It has. And um, look, the thing is, we we hope that the, to deliver money from an American account to a, a British corporate account is obviously complicated. Um, you've got to probably jump through several hoops. So let's hope that the complications are what's caused it. But you have to, as you so rightly say, we're forewarned is forearmed. And, you know, we've had Worcester and Wasps. And um, you, you just feel really anxious for it, especially for a club that in many other ways has been thriving, Alex. They've been good to watch. They've been, got a great stadium. They're, uh, they're con- they've been contending for the top four the last few weeks quite brilliantly. Uh, so, look, it's it's worse for the players, but for the game itself, it is a very bad look indeed. And let's hope that the money trickles through today and uh, everything's back on track. And Steve, just to pick up on what you said just now about yeah. the Wasps and Worcester situations not being resolved, the championship fixtures are due out pretty soon for next season. But although Wasps have committed to being in the championship, they don't have any players, they don't have any coaches, they don't have a home ground confirmed yet. There is still an element of doubt about the future of Wasps. Um, and there is a knock-on effect because what, whatever happens to Wasps in the championship will have an impact further down the pyramid in terms of of other clubs the size of the leagues, promotion and relegation, etc. We know Worcester cannot return in the championship. We don't know what the future holds for Wasps, whether they can can try and claw their way back towards professionalism by the champ or whether they just have to collapse and, I guess, rejoin the Wasps amateurs down the pyramid. And for such a storied club, even now, after the ructions from before Christmas, we don't know what the future holds for them, which is which is a major concern, really. It is, but I, let me let me. Um, it, it was desperate when Worcester and Wasp got into um, trouble. What I find, Alex, f- way more worrying and, in fact, despicable, is the attitude of the other clubs. All they wanted to do was get rid of these two clubs, basically, and divide the spoils so that they would only have to divide the first division spoils ten ten ways. I have it on the highest authority that some clubs have been leaking. Wasps' uh, private uh, business in in an attempt to scupper them, and that is the highest authority. I think that Wasps um, any any decent game would have would be com- uh, uh, banding together all the clubs to get this great club back up for a start. And I, I think they will make it, and I think they will um, um, w- with the opposition of others. Who, who want to divide the spoils. This is one of the greatest, if not the greatest club in English English rugby history. And um, I can make it a case that it is the greatest. And I think that the rest of the Premier should start supporting them. I've spoken to the hierarchy of the new Wasps, and they're still very, they're still very optimistic. Secondly, Worcester, clearly the people who uh, have bought Worcester have not, the, the, either haven't got a clue what they're doing, 
or their plans have fallen to bits. And I can see a Steve Diamond-led coalition coming back in, taking over the club and playing in the championship next season. Because I have it on very good authority that the RFU, if they've got a real great business plan and they can they can make it, will let them play in the championship. So um, let's hope for the best and, and be upbeat about that. And um, okay, the rest of the the rest of the fixtures are, are, are tough. They don't really come out any anyway for a bit. So bad luck if if you're not playing one week when you think you should be tough. It's much more important that the Premiership is is at full blast with twelve teams minimum, and um, all go, all going back out there to recreate the atmosphere of the Premiership as it once was. Well said, Steve. Now coming up now on the ruck. We will talk about two tribal occasions in Europe, a record-breaking Red Roses game at Twickenham where Rachel Burford will join us uh, and and Steve, you were there. uh, And we will uh, nominate our gods or goddesses of the week. So Steve, for the first time in Champions Cup history, we've got a repeat final in back-to-back years. Leinster, this time to host uh, La Rochelle. Last year, we, we had this incredible occasion down in Marseille. La Rochelle cr- being crowned as, as champions of Europe. This time, the, the the venue is reversed, but the fixture is is the same. What do you make of of, of the semi-final weekend in, in the in the top competition, first of all, with, uh, with, with Leinster beating Toulouse comfortably and, and La Rochelle really demolishing an extra team, which, is, as Stuart Barnes wrote in, in the paper, and I, I would agree, was a strangely selected extra team with, with a lot of key experience left on the bench. Well, the, the, first of all, um, let's just say on the downside, the most boring aspect of this tournament has been that it's been obvious from the start that Leinster playing home, 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 would be in the final, and, and and there they are. A, it is wrong, completely wrong, that the final is in Dublin. What on earth does that do for any global spread or any attempt by anybody else to host it? That That is just awful. You can go to Dublin 84 times a year if you want to. You don't need to go there for the, World, for the European Cup final. B, the fact that one team is played at home for every game is an absolute blight on EPCR. Uh, it should never have happened. When they saw it was on the cards, they should have stopped it. If anyone plays at home every week, even an average team can get through to the final. We had um, Don Mackay on, the chairman of EPCR last week, who who did acknowledge that the, the need to to expand the horizons and, and and they then announced or confirmed Tottenham to host um, next year's final, which I guess for you, see will be a nice opportunity to have some uh, big, high-quality international sport happening at the Tottenham Stadium. Yes, very funny, very funny. <laughs> uh, it's um, I tell you what, it's it's a uh, it's an, it is a staggering place. I never get tired of saying it is a staggering place, and, and it's a great place to have it. But um, so London's think- not a very adventurous option either. If, if we're talking about you know, the Saracens could easily be there. Saracens use it as their second home ground. Well, they do, but no, they don't. I mean, they use it once once a year. Uh, Leinster use the, they use the Aviva every time they play a big game. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's closer to their headquarters, their offices, 
than mm. their other games, uh, other grounds. Yeah. So, no, yeah. they're joking apart. I, I, I loved it, and I think other people loved it when it it went round the place when they went to Bilbao and Newcastle. And I, I, I met people who who said, "Look, we don't watch, we don't support a club uh, much, but we we actually, you know, we go round with with the final." And I think it was it was brilliant. The 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 blindness, the myopia of having it in Dublin is is shocking. On the other hand, it was a great final last year. But I think we sat together, Alex, at pity yeah. my um. Laptop didn't work, but we, it was it was it was a great final. Uh, Leinster were easily beaten um, by by a master tactical show. I guess they'll start favourites this time, but there is no guarantee. I make it a real 50-50 game. But how desperately disappointing were were to lose? Um, I was going to say because I, I had that as a bit of a 50-50 game, and actually it was you know to lose just didn't didn't show. Uh, in all the ways that we that we expect them to and we want them to, they, they didn't. Whereas I thought Leinster would, would, yeah, I guess they're like a they're like a just a such a well oiled machine, and there were elements of what they did. A try that Jack Conan scored down the short side, which which you know we saw when we went to see Ireland play England at, in Dublin. It's it, it's it's of the highest quality. Their ability yes. to, to manipulate space and man, manipulate the opposition, and they really were on 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 fine form. Um, whereas Toulouse just one of those days where they weren't quite on it a few things went against them injuries didn't help and and it ended up being a one-sided semi it was a very disappointed for them and in a way you know i mean almost like a blow for the world cup because so many of those players are great big confident players mm. and uh, you know they've now lost in the in the toulouse guys and in the national guys they've lost both games at uh but in, in in Dublin, but again, people are panicking. They're saying, "Oh, this is always going to be dominated by Leinster." If that game had been in the stadium in Toulouse, I would have backed Toulouse. It's, it's just a matter of when you're at home, when you when you're comfortable. Uh, but but really sad for Toulouse, and and they will be absolutely gutted by that a, re, a performance which wasn't aristocratic uh, from them in any way. Yeah, it was it was a shame, and in in the other. The other semi-final, I always felt was going to be the kind of scoreline that it was. I was surprised the bookies only had had Exeter with a twelve-point start. I, I never felt that would be enough, and and it, it duly wasn't. And the thing that impresses me about La Rochelle, and I, I was down there for the the quarter-final, which is just a remarkable occasion. And and all of our colleagues who, you know, Will Kelleher was is is just back from from Bordeaux. He went to to the semi just the. The passion and the the noise that and, and the colour that the La Rochelle fans bring is is a is a wonderful scene to behold. And I would recommend anyone if you get the chance to go to a top fourteen game in La Rochelle, take it. They've they've sold out about seventy games in a row. You can get tickets. You just need to plan it. And I, I'd go there. It's a it's wonderful. And, and but the way they play, I, I was trying to think of the best word to describe it. And it I think it is ravenous in the sense that. The moment they they sense an opening, the moment that that a player makes a half break, his his teammates are are, are they flood through in support. Yeah. Like they're just they're just all over. And they, they sensed in that semi final in the quarterfinals against Saracens, they they sensed a weakness for Saracens at the breakdown, and they and they went at it ferociously and hungrily. And and the Exeter game, it, it became men against boys by the end. The, the power. Of that of them of their mauling game, the power of their scrummaging, the ravenous nature in which they they attack hungrily every opportunity. I just think that they look in 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 serious shape to go and you know and, and potentially defend their title in in Dublin. Yes, uh, I think they're going to have to stay on the right side of the referee for start. Yeah, B, I, I like I like their scrummage. I think that um, 
in the Leinster team, I think Andrew Porter, has got huge uh, raps for being able to play on both sides. But I don't think he's a world-class loose head. He's a very good one. And I think that there'll be attack there on the skeleton side of the of the scrum. And uh, I just think it'll be it'll be fascinating. And th- what you said about La Rochelle, Alex, is, t- is totally right. That is the European Cup at its best. When it started, the galaxy of people who were in it, there were Catalans, there were Basques, there were working class areas in Ireland, and there the, the were like the Morningside Edinburgh and, and things like that. There were so many different cultures. I mean, when I first went to uh, Perpignan uh, to watch a game, there was a big flag and a big banner which says this is not France because they felt more sort of Spanish than anything yeah. else sort of thing and the, all that is marvellous that's why that's why I love La Rochelle and that's why they got to keep on the pan-European thing when they're away sometimes French teams are not so good but they've got to keep on the right side of the ref which which Leinster are brilliant in doing uh, whether or not they deserve to be on the right side could be a classic final and uh, let's pray that it's going to be really close, not like the two semis. Yeah, I, I, I'd be amazed. I, I, unless something unforeseen happens, you know, a, a, a red card or, or an injury to the wrong the wrong players, then then yeah, I, I can see it being a real battle of wits as, as much as anything else. And you talked about last year, La Rochelle won this, this the, the tactical battle against Leinster. It was, it was a stroke of genius, really, a masterclass from Ronan O'Gara, the way that he... He got his La Rochelle team to overhaul, overpower that Leinster side to outthink them as much as anything else, and mm. and the, the 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 guts and the the desire which they used to to defend their line at, at the end. It, it was an, a monumental occasion, really. In a, in, you know, and it, I guess that was that's not really in their back garden either, Marseille. But the the colour that that La Rochelle brought to it, I'm I'm sure Leinster will will do the same, and it'll be um it's a harder one to call. I mean, I, I'll say it, it felt like to lose. To lose Leinster was 50-50, but in some ways this one feels even harder because you you sort of sense that, that La Rochelle will take on Leinster. They'll take on the, the, the power that Leinster have. They'll bat themselves defensively. And it, it'd be maybe more nip and tuck. If, if Toulouse were going to win, they were going to win playing their way. Yes, this, yeah. this final, you feel, will, will just be a, a, a kind of real tactical um, nip and tuck game full of power and full of strategy. It'll be a strategic final, I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Hopefully a, a thrilling one as well. Let, but let me ask you a question about Exeter. The odd selection you mentioned, and they went, they didn't go in good shape. And, they, you know, they know they, we know they've got a certain spirit about them. The, the, everyone knows that uh, the Premiership are, have had to slash the way, wage their wage bills and slash the salary cap, Alex. But are you a little bit surprised at the sheer number of the uh, Exeter greats who are going together? I mean, they must be. They must have loved playing for Exeter. Is the salary uh, cap, or are the salaries so chopped that they had to go, or do you think that some of the spirit has, uh, has sort of left the club, probably temporarily, because there are a huge number of greats all leaving? I think a lot of it came it comes down to what happened when the the salary cap came down. If you if you remember at the start of the pandemic, the cap came down to five million. But there were a couple of clubs who were against it, and and they they built in this concession where any contract that was currently under negotiation, when the when the the cap came down, only seventy five percent of that new contract would count under the, the new salary cap. So every club set about trying to renegotiate contracts for every player, 
and and Exeter were, were one of the most, I guess, effective at doing that. So that has allowed them to effectively operate at the same salary spend under the new cap that they spent under the old cap because only 75% of it counted. The, the downside of doing that was that all those contracts are now expiring at the same time. Hmm, I uh, see. They, they all signed, a, I think it was within three years, and they've all come they've all come up at the same time. And now that caveat, if you like, doesn't exist anymore. So they've got one more year of, of a £5 million salary cap before it goes back up. And all these players out of contract and you know Dave Ewers might might not be the the force of old he might have expected a, a lesser contractor than he was than he was currently on but Henry Slade who is staying wouldn't but you know the others the, the others would all command high you know high salaries on the on the market mm. rate if you like and, sure, and sure. I think I think there's a there's an issue there that in the short term of trying to re-sign everyone They've they've knocked it they've knocked a, uh, an issue down the line which is now now affecting them that they can't afford to keep everyone all at once under yeah, sure. the same well, app. Well explained. Um, well explained. I made notes while you were saying all that. By the way, which which, which is an issue because in, in a year's time the cap will go back up and they will technically have more spending power. Sure. Um, the problem with that is can they afford it? You know, just just because there's a capacity to spend more money yeah. in a year's time sure. doesn't mean any of these clubs can actually afford to do it, which is a whole other whole other conversation. Um, one of the players who is leaving, and oddly, his Jack Knowles' move to La Rochelle hasn't actually formally been announced by La Rochelle, but everyone knows that that's where he's heading next season. And he spoke to Will Keller after the game on Sunday about playing La Rochelle in in, in the semi final and. And I guess the wrench of, of having to leave Exeter. You know, we we obviously, like I said, we we let ourselves down in the Premiership, so we knew that you know it was pretty much everything riding on this game today. Uh, a lot of us in that change room knows the feeling, what it takes to to win a Heineken Cup, and how special it is, and you know how hard it is to get to a semi semi final, uh, let alone get to a final. So, um, yeah, I think the most gutting thing is the fact that we actually, you know, did pour everything into this. You know, we may not have seen there at times in the in, 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 on the scoreboard, but. Um, you know, certainly in the change room, there's a lot of emotions there and a lot of drive to to go on and win this and make this, you know, a special game for you know not just me leaving, but you know, a few of the boys as well. I know, so, I know. It's so recently you just finished the game, but can you try and sum up what the Chiefs has meant to you over the last sort of decade or so since you've been a teenager? All the oh, highs yeah. you've had and everything. It's been everything. Like, to be honest, is all I know. Um, you know, I've never, you know, I've obviously experienced you know England stuff and, and things like that, but you know, this is this has been all I, I've known since since the age of 16. Um, so yeah, it's been you know unbelievable for me and my family. You know, I, I came to Exeter at 16 as a as a young kid, and you know I'll be leaving with you know three children and a wife. So uh, yeah, no, it's been it's Good been effort. yeah, <laughs> it's not been a bad 12 years or so. So um, yeah, no, it's been it's been absolutely unbelievable. And and you know, I know it's pretty sour at the moment, but you know, give me a few days, and I'll look back on on, on what we have achieved and you know what I've achieved with this team. Uh, in terms of premierships and Heineken Cups and stuff like that. And, you know, as a kid, you can you can only dream about stuff like that. And we should have a word about the, the Challenge Cup final, which is also happening in Dublin, Steve. Too long back in the in the Challenge Cup final, a year after losing to Lyon in Marseille. Um, what, what about the other game, Steve? Glasgow, Scarlets? I was quite interested in that, Alex, because I just wanted to look, look, the Scarlets are a great cup fighting team and what they would um, you know whether they'd managed to get through find a way but they didn't and and actually never looked likely to there was a, a very controversial incident when uh, they were not awarded a penalty try when um, for a deliberate knock-on it looked like it for me and uh, one of the things that reminded me of that arose was the number of um, sort of 
back back alleys and uh, that the laws can get into now and the number of ways that that um referees and, te- and television match officials to con- can convince themselves that what we all saw didn't actually happen so that there was that for the scarlets it did make a difference but um they, they were just not a massive forward core there um you know Wynn jones was was one of the best props in the world um a couple of years ago this time he wasn't very effective in the game, and he's not even in the Welsh squad for the World Cup. So things are, things are going down there. Um, Ken Owens, the great Ken Owens, is now 36, I think. Um, and they did not look sharp. Uh, they didn't look powerful. Uh, one or two of the backs were excellent, but there is they need a big injection down there to get themselves going again. And sadly, uh, the biggest injection that you can get is financial, and I don't think they have it. Glasgow, I thought, an away game in West uh, away game in West Wales, always should have been difficult. They played really well. Uh, they looked a good side, well coached by Franco Smith. They looked a decent side, and I think Glasgow Toulon would be a game that's worth watching because Toulon love that glory and uh, and it's their one chance of it and I think Glasgow will be competitive so I, I just think that'll be a really fine game. It's interesting the Win Jones situation, he was a, a starting lion on tour two years ago, he's now not in that Wales training squad but Henry Thomas, the former England prop now with Montpellier, is in the Wales training squad, it's uh, I, I guess Gatland has always shown his capacity to to explore different things and I guess surprise with selection. But I, you know, I think those who maybe hadn't followed Scarlets as closely as you would, would be surprised to see Wynne Jones not involved uh, as much as the rest of us are, uh, are sort of blindsided or, or by the left field selection of, of, of Henry Thomas from, from uh, Montpellier. It, you know, it's funny. I, I'm sure that um, Gatland has, you know, so, someone put him on to say, hey, this Henry Thomas is qualified, yeah. but I wouldn't be at all surprised if every coach in the World Cup is now combing is now combing other teams because it's an open goal really when you you don't have to build a tight head prop up if you got one who's qualified over he comes and you know that rule's not been in operation for that long that you can qualify after three years and I I reckon there are a large number of people who are quietly uh, secretly qualifying for other 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 nations Henry Thomas when he came through incidentally was was seen as a magnificent player. He had, he had everything. And for sailing, they didn't quite make it. But I've been impressed with him in um, from what I've seen in France. And I think Wales have got, got someone there, uh, uh, probably as a, as, as a, as a run-on rather than a starter. Because the Welsh props, as far as getting around the field go, have done next, next to nothing in, for years. Um, and you know, you when you've got the other props roaming the field now, like Sinclair and and people like that, and uh, and Tide Furlong, Wales lack that. So I think Henry Thomas will have quite a significant role in the World Cup. All right. Now, next up on the ruck, we let producer Alfie loose with with the microphone. He's not just behind the knobs this time. He's he's got the mic in hand. He went. He spoke on Sunday to Rachel Burford, the former England international uh, and and Times columnist about the Red Roses' 38-33 Grand Slam ceiling victory over France on a record-breaking day at Twickenham. So, Rachel, a day on from England's victory over France. We'll maybe get on to the kind of historical significance of the game in just a moment, but starting from a rugby perspective, 
another win against France, another Grand Slam, another Six Nations title, another job done for England, wasn't it? What what did you make of, of kind of their performance, I suppose, in the tournament and in that game as well? Yeah, well, I think, you know, huge congratulations to the group, um, you know, under immense amount of pressure yesterday. And for them to be able to come away victorious um, was really special for the occasion that it was. Um, I think throughout the tournaments, they've kind of had ups and downs. They've obviously been able to score a hell of a lot of points. Um, they've won every single game fairly comfortably, been tested a couple of times as well, but within that still managed to find a way um, and be able to you know, confirm their wins quite comfortably. Um, I would say it, it hasn't been their perfect performance, but you have to commend them for the way that they tried to play this Six Nations and, and that's going to have trial and error within it. So, yeah, I think overall really pleasing. Good to see new players, good to see new style of play, moving the ball a lot more, you know, not just focusing around the dominance of our set piece. Um, but like I said, with that comes errors, different timing, etc. And they have had quite a bit of rotation, players in and out with injury. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a very happy camp. And I think when they reflect and, and do a review of the Six Nations, there'll be areas that they need to improve and work on, but they'll be really happy. Yeah, you mentioned the style of play there, because I was going to ask you about that. We we suspected England might try and play a different style in this Six Nations. Obviously, they were criticised a little bit, I suppose you could say, at the World Cup, <laughs> that they were so reliant upon their driving more. What have you seen in terms of how they have started to develop that game and make it more expansive? And also, I presume you think that that's the right way to go, I guess, in terms of building their game and looking ahead to, to maybe the next World Cup in England. Yeah, well, I think I don't think they got a little bit criticised. I think they were really <laughs> criticised at the World Cup for relying on such a dominance. And, you know, it was an, an absolute weapon for them. But I, I've been really excited by, you know, we've had such exciting players and I'm not just talking about the backs, but their ability to play in open space is really exciting. And we just haven't unlocked that um, in recent times. So to see England be able to move the ball from one edge to another, knowing that they've got the capabilities skill-wise and they've got the fitness-wise to be able to play edge to edge and then be able to wear down the opposition to then catch them on the opposite side. So I think it's been really exciting. We're, we're showcasing and seeing some wonderful talent. And, you know, this is what gets fans on their feet. This is what everybody gets up for to, to watch. And, you, you know, you wonder if, if England went the traditional way during this Six Nations just the kind of scrum mall, go for a pen, go to the corner, would they have got 50,000 people there excited to see them? The way and the style and and the bravery and the ambition to do what they've done, I think is brilliant. And you know, there's a time and place for a driving mall, of course there is, and a strong set piece. But to now start to build on having this wide, expansive offloading, playing out the back door game, that poses so many different questions to the opposition. So, you never know what you're going to get. And that and that starts setting us up for a really nice um, 2025 World Cup, um, having the kind of different different bows, different strings to their bows. Obviously, you say they're 58, a little over 58,000, a record for a women's fixture. It's the first time that the Red Roses have had a standalone game at Twickenham. Like, there's so many directions we can kind of take it. And I guess from... What I was interested to knowing from you is from your point of view of obviously having played for England and, you know, there's still a long way to go into continuing to build the the women's game and opportunities and all that sort of stuff. But what was it like for you 
to to see that and was it something you ever thought you thought might never happen um I guess it was really hard to kind of picture and believe that that could be something I think I've said it before like when I've been at Twickenham for a men's match and I've been commentating I'd take my headphones off and I would listen to the anthem being sung and I used to always try and think imagine if I was on that pitch with this and how incredible it would be and and it was just for me being there, it was actually quite an emotional one, actually, because it just felt like we'd been on such a long journey. Obviously, it marked 20 years since the first Red Rose fixture and how it managed to fall on, on that weekend. Who knows? It was written in the stars. But in it just, I don't think I ever did really or was able to really believe or think or, or see it. And then when you're in that moment, you just can't. I was just so excited for everybody involved. And it's been such a, a hard graph behind the doors. Um, you know, all the marketing team, everybody at England Rugby, the amount of investment that's gone into, you know, not not just this game, but the Premier 15s to grow um, the rugby across the nation. And and I think, you know, what we we don't want it to just be a one off. We don't want it because it had that kind of World Cup feeling feel to it. Like this is a major game and it was a major game, but we want to kind of get to that becomes England's norm. And I think we've got to be very careful that as we move forward, that this isn't always the expectation. Mm. You know, we're not always going to play at Twickenham. We want to keep spreading the game around the country. Um, but, you know, having said that, every ground we're going to at the moment, we're also selling out. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's an extraordinary, it, it was an extraordinary um, sight to see. Was there a specific moment for you, or like not necessarily an obvious one of, oh, you turn up at the ground, there's 58,000 people there, but almost it could be any sort of moment where you almost have to, have to pinch yourself? Because I had it yesterday. I couldn't go to the game, unfortunately. I actually do live out this way, not too far from Twickenham, but I had to get a train into London relatively early and I got into Waterloo and all of a sudden there were loads of England shirts everywhere. And I was thinking, oh, of course, <laughs> it's, it's the Red Roses game today. But it wasn't so long ago that I could have probably got that same train in on a Saturday morning and you wouldn't necessarily realise because that's how much the audience has grown. And it was just that little kind of thing of like, there's a massive international going on today and it and it just reminds you. I wonder if you have, have had any moment like that, something quite small that kind of reinforces just the progress and the significance of of that day. Yeah, do you know what? There was actually a couple. There was Thursday night driving back from Quinn's training and seeing the sign saying major event at Twickenham this Saturday. Um, which I've never seen before, mm. um, only for men's internationals and the big game. Uh, and there was other, there was two other moments of the morning. As I was parking up, the car parks were full. I was struggling to get to the car park. Then I walk around to the front of the stadium, and and it's like ten to ten, and there are people queuing up, ready to get inside. They literally like, and like you said, like that sea of shirts. There was people with the rose hats um, and it was just remarkable. I felt like I was going to a men's international. I generally felt like I was working at a men's international. And I think that was just mind blowing. I hadn't even got into the ground yet. Yeah, no, it's because our route is they basically have to reroute it on when it's the men's Six Nations. It always goes via Twickenham instead. And that was the case for, for on this weekend as well. So it's just a little thing. As you say as well, I think it massively whets the appetite for the World Cup, which, as I say, the next one will be in England in terms of where the game could even be by that point And the crowds we might see is really, really exciting. Can't let you go, Rachel, without asking about Simon Middleton, the England coach departing after this Six Nations. How do you reflect on, on his legacy at the helm of the Red Roses? 
bucket loads of Six Nations titles, an unbelievable winning streak, but also those couple of World Cup finals as well where they couldn't quite get over the line. How do you assess his tenure as a whole? Yeah, well, I think it, you know, his stats speak for themselves and and that writes his legacy. I think when you've got such a well-resourced, talented, lot of depth group of players, you know, it'd be quite easy just to rely on that. And and Simon Middleton never has. He's always had really high standards, always tried to evolve and push the programme on. And I think the term like never settles doesn't matter whether they won 29 they just want to get better as a group and I think that all starts with him and I think the reason that the the squad is in such a good place and and look they've had some lows and they've come up short at times but they've never kind of shied away from that they've always tried to get back on the horse reinvent themselves and, and go again and that all starts with with Simon and I think yeah I think he, he'll be missed amongst the group and It'll be exciting to see what he's got next. I know he's got some something planned, um, but he's not revealing what that is. But yeah, look, he's been he's been such a pivotal person within the game. Huge advocate for the women's game when he first came in um, and worked with us. He came in and just did some defence work, um, and he he saw the and that's when we were completely amateur. He kind of saw the dedication and the commitment and the passion that the player and he just he was just infected by that and he wanted to be a part of a group of people who could provide that. Um and he just reflected that. He gave everything to that job. Um and yeah, so I think, you know, whatever he does next, he'll be extremely successful in because he just he always wants to keep pushing the bar. Well he certainly left a a tough act to follow, isn't it? I think in terms of, as you mentioned, his, his winning percentage and what he's done. We'll see who, who replaces him. Uh, Rach, as always, thank you for joining us so regularly on the ruck throughout the Six Nations. Another Six Nations in the books, another title for England. What's next for you? You mentioned this morning before we set up this this call, a bit of rehab and things. Just quite where, where are you at the moment? Yeah, so just um, still rehabbing at the moment, hopefully aiming to actually get a game at the end of the season, final round. So just, yeah, working hard to, to get to that point. And then it's, yeah, it's it, like the Allianz Premier 15 kicks off again pretty soon. So it's going to be a busy time for all the Red Roses to get back into that as well. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Thanks for joining us and uh, all the best. Cheers, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Steve, you you were there at, at Twickenham, pretty memorable occasion, was it? I loved it actually because um, all the usual rugby writers weren't there, all that horrible lot. So I quite enjoyed it actually because I had my seat to myself and I didn't have to talk to all you guys because you were all away. No, I seriously, I, I I loved the whole thing from start to finish, and you know I got there really early as I normally do. Everyone, the crowd was almost packed like four hours before kickoff. Thousands and thousands of, of kids of both sexes. People had come to to have a party, but not not a not a riotous drink laden party, but just a party, and it was it was sensational. And the game was everything you expected it to be. Um, before we go on, Alex, the the great band Sugar Babes, could you please spell Sugar Babes for me? Uh, I don't think it would be traditional spelling. My memory says. Okay, have a go. Is S U G A B A B E S? It's S U G A. And then yeah. babes, so there's no R in it. So in the first editions of all the papers, we all got that wrong till we were corrected. So sugar well, babes, don't forget, before we go on, don't forget sugar babes got no R. But what... what no, I, but before we go on, Steve, I would very, very rarely would I ever pick you up on anything you write in your match reports. Yes. Doyen that you are, but you did describe a sugar babe songs as a near, a near legendary song. I did, yeah. Which I think is a little over the top. Look, there were four girls sitting behind. There were four girls sitting behind us, all Sugar Babes fans. And I said, first of all, how do you spell Sugar Babes? And they told me. I said, secondly, what's their greatest song? And they said uh, the, uh, the one I mentioned. Yeah, the near legendary. I didn't. They didn't say it was near legendary, but I think it was. Anyway, that that was the song. And as soon as they it started, they yeah. said, "This is it." So I was well up with my uh, with my music. <laughs> I did my research. It was a fabulous game, Alex. Um, at half time, we think this is going to be sixty, but from some somewhere, I don't quite understand where France got got it back in them. And just once in the second half, I thought, "Blimey, hang on, are they going to do this?" But you know, they didn't. But it was a great open game. It was there was forward play skills. Uh, refereed very well. I, I was pleased that there was some there was some jeopardy in it because at, at half time yeah. it's all well and good having a party, but it's not, you want you want you're there for a game of rugby, and, and I are. I feared it would just be a procession another procession which which might be a nice day out, but I don't think it captures people in the same way. So I was actually I was pleased that France came back into it and, and injected an element of uncertainty into the game and made England actually win it rather than just just stroll to victory. Yes, it was bizarre why they waited so long. But actually, yeah. look, England, England was was superb. They're coming on. Uh, I just think that Tatiana Heard in the in the uh, midfield is the next great coming through. But the, the team are quite youthful. They've got like three hookers who are all of world class. And now, uh, interestingly, they you know for the on the subject of the one sided games, Alex, they now join uh, the World Fifteen uh, Division One. Uh, and we'll be playing against New Zealand, Australia, probably Canada, uh, Wales, um, and Wales, and that will have jeopardy in it. Uh, even if you're playing away at Wales, they be, they might be better. But that is what the game is needed. Now there are three divisions. That top division, to me, looks like it will contain jeopardy, and will increase the competitiveness of the women's game. It, it, it was marvellous as a rugby. It was marvellous as a fun day out. It was great. Yeah, Stephen, with the WXV 
in mind, England will head into that with with a new head coach. Um, there's a report that's been published while we've been talking by Rugby Pass that says John Mitchell, the former All Blacks head coach, England men's assistant coach, is, is in line to be the, the the new Red Roses head coach. It says the RFU will announce it tomorrow. That that's news to me, and and it's a fascinating appointment if it turns out to be if it turns out to be John Mitchell. But you've been very vocal in in your belief that it, it should be Giselle Maver. I have, um, and people have been critical because I, they, I said it should be it should be a woman, and uh, people accuse me of being token. Not not at all. I th- I just think that I think we found out there are differences in the game, the way it's played, the culture, and the way it, it affects people. And I think it's high time that they gave a woman a chance. Giselle Mather is absolutely uh, a wizard in terms of rugby knowledge, energy. Her passion. She's certainly got an edge to her. I'm only saying that because uh, she's not in the studio. Um, <laughs> but I have to say that I I never thought they would be bold enough to do to do that this time. On the other hand, uh, know John Mitchell very well. I think, as we were saying, Alex, um, before we came on air, the fact that he's applied is a great uh, Philip or or a confirmation of the women's game and its status because John's coached everyone all around the world, the All Blacks, England, you know, sale every, everywhere. And for him to go for this job is, is, is a big deal. And um, I don't think he's a natural fit. I think he might have to um, slightly change his style, but I think he'll be good. And uh, so, but with a longing backward glance at, uh, at Giselle, because I think she would have been good too. And Steve, we finished with our, our God or Goddess of the Week feature. Well, you know, Simon Middleton as, as coach's last game for England. Will, will, will he feature in your thinking? Will, you, will it be someone from Twickenham or, or are you looking elsewhere? I'm going to look at Twickenham. No, um, Simon won't feature just as uh, Eddie Jones wouldn't have featured because um, two World Cups and neither one. And I'm afraid in the brutal world which uh, which we're in, uh, that is a failure. And... Um, you know, I I I wouldn't have uh, I won't go there. But I think he's uh, he's been uh, brought dignity to it, and he's um, developed a, a large squad of players, not just the fifteen. So I'm not going there, but I am going to go with the Red Roses. Alex Tatiana Heard uh, as a centre, just so committed, so demanding on the opposition, so talented, and is growing in front of our eyes. And I think she will become. By the next World Cup, the best centre in the world. And I really love watching her play on Saturday. Wow. And the next World Cup will be in England. So what a what a spectacle that will be. I'm going to select uh, Gregory Aldrich from, from La Rochelle, um, one of many standout performers in, in the Heineken Champions Cup semi-finals. But I just think the way that he plays for, for La Rochelle uh, and France, I, I just, I just love what he does, and um, he was, I guess his his contribution was in the quarterfinal that I was at was slightly overshadowed by Lavani Bottia tearing up Saracens at the breakdown, but I just thought he showed his his absolute quality against uh, against Exeter. They they couldn't live with him off off the base, um, and I, I just love his leadership and, and the way he goes about his business. So he gets he gets my vote. Um, I think two two pretty good. Nominations there, Steve. Aldrich was well, blame me. He could have been it every week this season. Every time he's played, we almost gone for him. So that's a good choice as well. Yeah, he's class. He's class. Right. So we head off 
into a, a rather strange week in the Premiership where, where nothing really riding on it before the season takes off in and, and the, the, the guts and glory of, of, of knockout rugby and, and finals rugby to come, all of which will be covered by us at the time, the Sunday Times, uh, in print, online, and and here on the Ruck. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. The lineup TBC, but we know it'll be produced as ever by by Alfie Reynolds, um, who uh, who twiddles the knobs as well as he does the interviews. Um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.